Well, good evening, New Mexico, on this first day of September 2021. Welcome to another edition of the Wednesday edition of New Mexico Rising. Tonight, we're going to be going over election fraud yet again and, and continue to try to dig into that for you and with us as we all try to learn exactly what happened in this state um, and in other places. We're going to be joined by Aaron Clements, who's been working very hard um, within the New Mexico First Audit Group on Telegram. You guys can find that pretty easily. We're also going to be joined by Brett Coconatis, the second vice chair of the Santa Fe Republican Party. And he's going to be looking at this stuff with us. He's a nerd, so I think he would appreciate that. Thad is also a nerd, as many of you know, I think. Thad, you're a nerd, right? Um, don't why'd you put me on front street like that? Yeah, yes. <laughs> Am I gonna get you? In uh, trouble? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, Sorry. no. I, I, yes, no, I, 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 I unfortunately have one of those pesky STEM degrees, and yeah. yes, I that that makes me sort of a nerd. And I used to have a previous podcast where I talked about other nerd things like tech and stuff like that. I do tech for a living, and so yes, that automatically makes me a nerd, not a math okay. nerd, um, but numbers do intrigue me and some and numbers as it pertains to models don't lie typically so this is going to be a fascinating episode i look forward to it i'm coming into this just as green as you guys ready to just kind of ingest the the information and our guest has quite a bit of it and you know hopefully start shedding some light on the fact that it, we're going to see how deep the rabbit hole goes i, I hear it's pretty deep but let's let's dispense with the pleasantries at this point and go ahead and bring everybody on. Aaron and Brett, are you guys ready to dig into this? Let's do it. We need more nerds. <laughs> we do. Aaron, one thing I did want to mention, you know, and we were talking about it a little bit in the pre-show, but you know, the things your husband and you both have been doing for this state and for this country are appreciated by many. And, you know, I think should the history books ever be allowed to be written, um, your names will be at the very top of them. Well, thank you, uh, Sean. It's, you, you have been a blessing and just an encouragement to so many people, myself included. And so one thing I did want to check up on and, and let other people know out there is I know your family's had a very rough week. Yeah. Um, how, are, how are you all holding up? We're doing well. Um, I, I guess... Uh, I don't know if your audience knows, but my husband was, uh, he's put on administrative leave from his job as a professor at New Mexico State because he refused to take the vaccination. And then he let students choose whether or not to wear masks in his classroom. And so because of that, he's been deemed a public emergency or something. And they are, they've taken away that, his job essentially. So, um, but some really amazing things have come out of that. And he's had uh, multiple offers of of ways that he can make a lot more trouble for people that want to force vaccines down your throat, um, you know, in, in this situation that we're in now. And so I think that God has really provided for us. And, and I know that our family is going to be taken care of. And I, I think um, he'll be able to do a lot for the country, um, even more so because of this. I think I, indeed, indeed. Yeah, that, that's really difficult. And, you know, we appreciate your husband and you making those sacrifices and standing up uh, for everyone's freedoms and rights. And, you know, even just this weekend, uh, 
I guess now Cabinet Secretary Deb Holland and Senator Warren mm -hmm. uh, participated yes. in a mask protest against Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham at Deb Holland's wedding. Right. Uh, you know, so this is this is the rules for thee, uh, but yes. not for me. Uh, yes. So we, we applaud you for that as well. Oh, thank you, Brett. <laughs> so a little bit of your background and how you got wrangled into doing all of this work for free, this pro bono yes. work on trying to sort <laughs> through this election. I know we talked with uh, Pablo Martinez. He came mm -hmm. on here, I think that was two or three weeks ago. I don't know, time flies. But kind of tell us how you got involved in digging through all of this. Okay. Um, well, I, I, like a lot of people could tell on November 4th, really, that something was going seriously wrong. And I went to bed on the third, looking at what was left on the map and Trump's lead and thinking, okay, he won. COVID's going to be over. They're going to, they're not going to force the vaccine on anybody, things like that. Riots will be done with. And then I woke up on the fourth and you could just tell something was really, really off. And so, um, and I'm, you know, David's story, he started looking into the cases and he got real familiar with all the possible paths that this could be corrected. And then we get up to January 6th and uh, you saw just the total letdown of every avenue, every, uh, the rule of law, um, yeah. the gaslighting of the narrative. It was just insane. And so it was January 7th, I believe it was, that I started filing some public documents requests um, from the Secretary of State just uh, just everything I could think of that might be helpful to figure out what it was that went wrong. Um, so I started doing that. Um, I'm an engineer by trade, so I data analysis is kind of uh, up my alley, I guess. And yeah. um, I don't know if you all saw that scientific proof documentary that um, Mike Lindell did with Dr. Frank. Mm -hmm. And it occurred to me that if I could get the same data for New Mexico, we could do that stuff here. Mm -hmm. So I started uh, digging up everything I needed to do that. Um, we met uh, Captain Seth Keschel. You probably are familiar with his work. He's done a lot of, he's uh, done an analysis on every single county in the whole country and um, looked at its historical uh, trends as far as voting and by party. And then he, he gave them all a rating as far as green, yellow, red. Um, so as far as how much, which counties he thought had the most fraud in them. So we looked at that. Um, I met another wonderful friend. Her name is Draza Smith. She actually lived here in New Mexico. She just recently moved, but she's another person that has some amazing analysis. So we've been working with um, just experts all over the country to, um, it turns out that Dominion and ESNS and, and the voting, uh, the fraud, they actually didn't have that many ideas. And so if you find something wrong in one state, you can be pretty sure to find it in others. So I've been just paying as much attention as I can to everything that people are finding and then trying to do recreate it here in New Mexico. And I think we've um, compiled quite a lot of evidence. We've got a 200 plus page report that's gonna be going out in the next week or two um, to document some of it. And I wanted to show, show you guys a little bit of that this evening. Yeah, let's see it. If, okay. Yeah, I know everyone's really interested because <laughs> in it, it's the number one question and topic we hear about you know, in the party, I'm also a former candidate for Congress. So, you know, okay. that's a, a lot of the conversation uh, that we have with constituents. And I think the, the questions I'd like to come out and, and address during this segment with you are, what can people do? Because, mm -hmm. you know, we have a lot of activities that are going on in our county party, in the state party about training election 
integrity observers, poll challengers, and things yes. like that. And that's the number one question. We hear from people now that they want to basically silence themselves because they feel that their vote simply doesn't count. Right. And you know, that's a big challenge for us, whether you're a candidate or an incumbent running for re-election, they're saying, well, I, I just don't have faith in the process anymore. So yes, I, I hope we can get to that in, in today's segment too with you. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely things people can do. And I think there's a lot of hope even in New Mexico with as hostile as the climate is here and as entrenched and um, corrupt as it obviously is. But um, there are so many people that are waking up and are mad and and these people that have been stealing our elections, something I've noticed looking at the data is that they were already on the ragged edge of even being able to pull it off with none of us knowing about it. And that's really why we noticed it is because um, people turned out in such large numbers, just rejecting this far left narrative that we're a racist country and riots are okay. And, um, you know, uh, and so, people have rejected it and they weren't, they really weren't able to pull it off the way they expected to. And, and so I think the same is true even in New Mexico, that they're on the ragged edge of being able, I call it the psyop of being able to, to make us think that we're actually losing our country because I don't think we really are. Hmm. Well, let's, let's get into this. I know that I think we start off, we've got a map that shows, yes. you know, what was expected. You can explain that much better than I can. Okay. So this is, uh, I mentioned Captain Seth Keschel. He's the one that analyzed every country in the, or every county in the whole country. So there's over 3,000 counties in our country. And so this is his opinion of New Mexico. So what he did is, is there's over 100 years of election data and counties always behave in a predictable fashion if you know where they've been, if you know how people are registering, if you know how people have voted historically. So you can, there's like maximum turnout numbers, there's minimum turnout numbers, there's how people behave when the candidate is popular, how they behave when the candidate is not popular. And so it's fairly predictable. In fact, Captain Seth Keschel um, in the 2016 election, he predicted every single of our 50 states correctly as to who it would go to. And so when 2020 came around and everything went haywire and he was saying there's 100 years of data that that says what just happened or what they're telling us happened is impossible. And so here's his opinion of um, New Mexico. The green counties are counties where um, the voting trends matched the, the registration trends and the turnouts matched what you would expect from a historical perspective. The yellow counties, they're off, they're off a little bit too much to be believable. The red counties are off way too much to be believable. So in his opinion, the red counties are where there was the most cheating. The yellow counties were, you know, enough cheating to make a difference. And then the green counties are, at, they're in the expected range. That doesn't mean that there wasn't cheating in those counties. And I can show you, um, I'll show you later that there was cheating in every single one of our counties. But you can see from this, uh, this graphic that in his opinion, almost all of our counties have some serious problems with them. So um, that's just statistical historical trends. Yeah, so if you I, go to the next, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask the question. I mean, he, he's obviously knowledgeable about that, but the the pushback to that would be that there was a lot of hatred for President Trump, and so everything was unprecedented. I mean, I'm sure right. we'll dig into that, but what is your initial reaction to kind of that pushback, and then what do you say to that? I would say, I think his answer might be that the excess votes that we're seeing. So 
in order to believe that, you have to believe that people hated Trump so much that an obscene number of people turned out to vote who never voted before, and they voted against Trump. And so it's, um, I guess the way you could, an analogy he makes is Obama was pretty unpopular in his second term, and he had he won by a lot fewer votes than he did his first term. And that's that's actually typically the way it goes, is that a re-election um, they get fewer votes. That mm-hmm. wasn't true with Reagan. It's not true with popular candidates. And so, um, but even Obama, so you could think of those as like minimum turnout for the pop, for the candidate that won. So if you compare those total votes, historically speaking, they're so much bigger than the historical turnout has ever been seen. And so that's why he's saying these are not real votes because this, like all these people Right. They've never and Aaron, heard it before, but Aaron, I'll interject too. And I think the other the other point that would kind of negate that is if we look at just the rallies and the yes. media exposure. I mean, I went to the rally. I don't know if you all were there, but you know, I went to it when he was in Rio Rancho, and there were just you know miles of people waiting in line uh, yes. to get in. They had overflow. There was about ten thousand people in overflow. Of course, the media didn't report the accurate numbers, but eyewitness account myself. And many of my friends and colleagues went there and they were just massive. You know, I've went right. to other rallies in other states and other gatherings. Anytime you saw any of the Biden rallies, granted there was COVID, but still you would think that if people were that upset with the president and that motivated to vote against Trump, that they would equally be showing up to these rallies and events in, in numbers. Right. So the rallies proved that the base was behind him and his base was growing. And so that's, that's, really the what undercuts that argument. And I don't even know how many Democrats who are my friends who absolutely would not vote for Trump in 2016 who said he's the only choice. We have to vote for him. So yeah, I, I had mean, the same thing happen. It was yeah. it was kind of absurd. In, you know, myself included. Yeah. In all transparency, mm-hmm. I, a lot I did of people. not vote for Trump the first time. Second time yeah. I did. Neither yeah, did I. I did not mm-hmm. vote for him. I was one of those pesky libertarians that was just like, no, he's the worst thing ever. <laughs> I was a never Trumper before it was cool. And then, yeah. you know Things got real in 2016, but I still, you know, stubbornly voted libertarian. And then 2020 happened and I had to throw all that analysis out the window. Right. I have the same story. <laughs> so explain <laughs> this that we're looking at now. We'll keep moving along here. Um, okay. What, so what are we looking at here? So this is a analysis that was uh, that was talked about in that documentary scientific proof that Mike Lindell put out. So there is okay. a, a scientist in Ohio named... Um, Dr. Douglas Frank, and he, I think he, his first analysis, I believe, was in Michigan. There was a, a congressional race there that the, the candidate just couldn't believe she lost, and so she gave all the data to Dr. Frank and said, can you figure out what happened here? And so one of the things he was able to uncover, and he's found this in several states, um, is that there's an unnatural relationship between population in a, in a state and or a county and the registration who's registered, and then the votes. And so this is New Mexico's population registration and votes curve. So the one on the top is how many people live in our state by age. Um, The one in the middle is how many people are registered in our state. And the one on the bottom is how many people voted. And one of the ways you can detect fraud is if like more people are registered, say, than live in your state or your county, or if more people voted than are registered, things like that. Yeah. And so, um, if you'll go to the next slide, this is a historical look at a county in Pennsylvania, and it, it'll be the same no matter where you look. But 
the first, these are sort of three-dimensional shapes that represent um, registrations. So you'll see in 2002, if you picture that shape in the back, like the total population, and then the picture of the state in the front, like the people that actually register, you can see that a lot of young people weren't registered in the, two, in the early 2000s, and that the number of registrations was quite a bit smaller than the people that actually lived there. And as time went on, it also doesn't match the shape all that well. Like you, you'll see a few peaks that match the population shape, but not so much. Mm -hmm. So there's not a really high correlation between these two curves where the one I just showed you, the three curves are almost identical in shape. They're just sort of shifted down a little bit. So as time goes on, this is true all over the country, including in New Mexico, that the people are registered, it just slowly inches up and inches up until it's as pretty much as high as it can be to be believable um, that that how many people are registered um, compared to how many people actually live in that county or state. And you can also see that the shape starts to match a lot better than it did in the early 2000s. And so that's evidence that somebody is filling in these curves um, with everybody they can find, and we call those ghost voters. Okay, so if you'll go down to the next curve, um, these are the same three curves I showed you statewide, but it's just for Bernalillo County. So the one on the top, that's uh, the total population of Bernalillo County. The one in the middle, that's who's registered. And you'll notice right around age 70 or so, everybody's registered. And the same thing around, what is it, like 79? So <laughs> it's highly unlikely that in any age group, 100% of people would be registered. It's also highly unlikely that these shapes would, would track so closely with each other. So one of the things uh, Dr. Frank did is he said, well, what if I take the ratio for every age from 18 to 100, so that's 83 different ratios, and then um, I can plot that curve. So if you'll go to the next, the next slide. So this is the curve of the ratios, this is a little bit complicated, but the way to, to read it is like if you look at age 20 and you go up about 60% of, of 20 year olds in Bernalillo County are registered. If you go to age 40, about 75% of them are registered, et cetera, all the way up to 100. So if you're 100 years old, 30% of 100 year olds will be registered to vote. And these, these dots just somehow magically line up in this perfect little curve that happens to fit an equation. And that equation is called a sixth order polynomial. And that was um, Dr. Frank's big discovery is that it appears that how they choose how many people in each age group vote is determined by an equation. And that's the equation there on the screen. Um, and that R value, that's gonna be important. It says R squared equals, it's 0.991. That's how well that curve matches those data points. Matches. So it's almost one. If it's a perfect one, that means it's a perfect fit. And so if you're at 0.99, you're at a near perfect fit. Um, so maybe that's not a big deal. That's just Bernalillo County. So if you'd go to the next slide, um, this is that same uh, shapes I, I, had, I showed you before, but now I've added a predicted vote. So if I take that equation I just showed you, and I plug in ages, it'll, it'll pop out how many votes I'm predicting each age group will cast. So you'll notice that the votes that were actually cast tracks perfectly with my prediction based on that equation. 
and and the R value is a perfect 1.000. So that's awfully close to, so we that's the algorithm that he's talking about. An algorithm just means it's an equation that calculates. And what are the voting. chances? What are the chances of that? The chances, I'll I'll talk about that if I okay, if we could okay, go yeah. through the whole thing. There's a great <laughs> analogy. <laughs> so if you'll go to that other document and open that up, I've done all the counties in the same way. And we can just flip through them fairly quickly. And and as we're flipping through them, pay attention to that R value on the side and how close it is to one for every county. So there's Katrin. Let's stay, go back to Katrin for a second. So look at that one. So look at the registrations versus registrations and votes both versus population. You'll notice that more people are registered and also voted for certain age groups and even live in that county. So that's amazing. <laughs> and you'll you'll see this in several of our counties. And also that R is almost one. Wow. And and I mean, Katrin County isn't exactly mm -hmm. what I would call a. Um, a blue county at all no and i don't I, think it is no i had family that lived down there so yeah it's, it's definitely not it's okay uh, so go ahead there's chavez we can just go through these fairly quickly just pay attention to that r value how close it stays to one for every county and then every now and then you'll have those curves jump up above that blue line which is more is obvious in, fraud yes in, yeah population right there and notice how yeah, perfectly yeah, okay. those curves match each other. How likely is it that that those curves no, it, would match so well? It's not more votes; it's more registrants, right? Some are some are votes, some are registrants. So sometimes the votes actually exceed the population. Also, Harding County is the worst one. So Debac is not too good. There's Doniana. Hmm. County point nine nine. <laughs> yeah, what's so weird is that, even though on the R values, when your R values start going farther away from one, mm -hmm. you're still able to really kind of follow the trend, even though you may not be on the mark exactly. Yes. Yeah. And and a normal R value, like for a real set of data, if you had a strong correlation. So Harding County, that's one of the worst. You see that wow. votes way exceed population. And that's even true in her numbers. So sometimes it's only true for a couple of ages. Sometimes it's true that overall, like way too many people voted than even live in the county. But that R value for a normal data set that actually had a real correlation, it might be 0.6 to 0.8, and you would consider that very high. So to have 33 counties where I think the lowest one is 0.94 something, that means that they're all calculated with an equation. So you're going to be able to predict the next election? Yeah, <laughs> I could. So how does this correlate with past elections, right? Like what, the, what does that mm -hmm. R value in past elections look like that, that does not correlate to this, this R number and does not apply this big curve fitting equation to it? I haven't been able to go back uh, for historical populations or for historical um, elections for us because it's so onerous to get the voter rolls. Um, but that yes, first graph I showed you with those 3D with those 3D shapes, like that one in mm -hmm. 2002, it probably had an R value around 0. 0.5. Wow! And then it just okay. creeps up to one, yeah, over the last 20 years. So which it is was like they just did this over time. The yes. Same thing where it's like you know you're boiling a frog. Yes. And they just did it slowly so that no one would yes. notice, and now it really really matters. Yes. 
yes, it, they, it's a slow death. You're slowly losing the country. There's nothing you can do about it. But it really, it was all calculated. So when, you, when you're comparing New Mexico to other areas of the country that have been analyzed, are, mm -hmm. are they seeing the same type of patterns, the same R values? Yes, yes. So the, the highest R values actually were in Colorado, and they're almost all 1.00. And the reason it's that way is because Colorado did 100% mail-in election this last go-round. And so they're, they're very... Uh, it's very highly controlled when it's all mail-in because they know exactly what's coming in. They know exactly how they have to have to pad it. And then, then they start counting early also. So they have perfect polling to go off of and they know how many fake mail-in ballots they need to add. So we have a mixture. We had a whole bunch of, we had a lot more mail-in ballots this last go round than we usually do by like three or four times. And so, um, the, the more mail-in ballots you have in a state, the closer it is to one because the easier it is to control, if that makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. So I guess the other I guess a question I have in, uh, is because of this, the unprecedented nature of what happened last year, that there were so many places around the United States that relied on this mail-in ballot, ballot being, um, you know, uh, my, my thoughts and prayers go out to the people of California who are about to deal, deal with this yes. again. Yeah. Um, so how much of that might have been just, you know, just not to play devil's advocate, might have been just these provisional ballots that people voting out of county, people dropping off at random places out of out of their precinct and stuff like that might have correlated to the fact that maybe some counties saw a ton more votes than than actual population or, you know, registrants exceeded. Because I, cause I, I can tell you for a fact, just having dealt with the secretary of state just to grab voter rolls and stuff, you are absolutely mm -hmm. correct Yeah. in that. It's hard. I mean, you know, that's what some of the pushback would be. It's like, well, this was unprecedented. Um, there might have been people voting out of precinct and stuff like that. But have, have any of those concerns been addressed? Can you bat that down? Because, I mean, this is yeah. pretty damning what we're seeing right now. Yes. Um well, it goes back to historical turnout, I guess, would be the answer. So um, if you look at who, how many people voted in 2016, and then you compare it to how many people voted this time, um, our early votes were almost exactly the same number. Like within 100 votes, um, we had the same number of people vote early as did in 2016. And then a whole bunch fewer people voted on election day. So if you say all those people voted absentee instead, we still have 130,000 excess ballots, um, which which would take out Trump's um, Trump's lead, and then give give because uh, because Biden won New Mexico by 100,000 votes. So if we have 100,000 probably fictitious ballots, or you could say excess ballots based on historical turnout, um, that would explain it. And and another thing that I think is the case is that people like all these ballots from these ghost voters, those ghost voters aren't real people. They're not, we don't have 130,000 people in New Mexico committing fraud. We probably have, you know, a handful of people that are doing this, mm -hmm. that know what they're doing and they're backstuffing these ballots um, electronically even. They might not even have real paper to back them up. And so it's a small number of people that are, are perpetrating this. And there is, I mean, there is ballot harvesting. There is shady stuff that goes on, but but on this scale, like it wouldn't explain it. Yeah, this is, this is a better algorithm. system to, to fix the elections. Yeah, right. yeah, for sure. Than relying on a bunch of 
small time criminals collecting yeah, the, $20. Yeah, the only thing that kind of blows my mind about it is that at some point you would have thought that they would have had statistical analysis on it, which is happening, and that that would be mm -hmm. telling. But, yes. you know, I guess it's gotten to the point where maybe they just don't even care. Well, one of the things, I mean, there were a lot of anomalies in the in the election. So one of the things you can point to is really high turnout points to fraud. So anything in excess of like 75% of people turning out, it's that points to fraud. And we had counties 80, 90% turnout, 115% turnout in Harding. So there, I mean, even statistically speaking on those basic things that people look out, look at, we exceeded all of it. And then we had just a massive increase in these absentee ballots, which which is the easiest way to cheat by far. Which which is which yeah, which kind of if you had a excess turnout or uh, sorry, a a absorbent amount of absentee ballots in mm -hmm. theory, then yeah, you shouldn't have had those turnout numbers. You should have had below historical turnout numbers because right. the world was frightened to death about right. uh going to COVID, particularly if you look at the the two rallies using those two data points of a, a Trump rally versus a Biden rally where yes. the Biden voter was scared. Right, right. right. Um, that's yeah. anecdotal, I know, but I mean, it, yes. it makes sense. So yeah, you're right. It, it shouldn't have happened. No. And I looked up just to see, because they were preparing us for all of these narratives. They were preparing us for it to take a long time to announce the results of the election. They were preparing us um, that more Democrats would vote absentee than not. And so I just looked for old um, pre-election articles and like, what kind of predictions were they making that the Democrats would stay home? And they, the largest... Uh, prediction I said is like, or that they were reporting was 60% more Democrats will vote absentee than Republicans. But our our absentee turnouts were four to one for Biden. <laughs> so that's, what is that? 400%, not 60%. So even that, that preparation they gave us, like there was such a blowout for Trump that they had to backstep to such a ridiculous amount that you're getting four to one votes for Biden in, in the absentee ballot. What I think is important to point out though, Aaron, too, and maybe you can talk a little bit about your experience, because I'm sure you've given this presentation multiple times. You know, this this is a, a divisive issue, it seems, mm -hmm. amongst the constituency. And the conservative patriot groups obviously uh, want to listen and, and want to make sure that we have fair and honest elections. But this is also important for any party. I mean, yes. this is important for the Democrat Party, for libertarians and independents, because what ends up happening is you create kind of the cabal yes. with unfair elections in any party. And we can kind of see that, you know, even in the Democrat Party, they will pick, they will ordain their candidate, even if they have a congested primary. And that right. candidate is going to be successful. You know, yes. and they'll just say, well, you know, we funneled all this money and, you know, PR and, and supported them. But when you start looking at these statistics, this is something that affects not just Democrats and Republicans or Democrats and Republicans as parties, but even within your same party, even if you are a supporter right. of that party. Right, exactly. And I was talking about my Democrat friends earlier. I have this a really good friend who his whole family's Democrat. They have been forever. And he was saying we all voted for Trump. And so he's one of those. But the reason it matters to Democrats is because the Democratic Party has gone so radical, so far to the left that they've left most of their own party behind. And oh, yeah. in the last legislative um, election, not in 2020, but the one before that, the Democratic Party was uh, really happy that they got rid of, I think it was two 
you could call them Kennedy Democrats that had been there forever and were leaders in their party, but they weren't radical enough for the Democratic Party. So they got rid of these people that were really liked by, you know, bipartisan, they had bipartisan base, and they had to get rid of them because they were blocking um, the abortion bill for MLG to get her late term abortion thing. Uh, so there's, there's now there's no you know, no restriction at all. And if you well, don't want to give an abortion. The Democrat agenda is in our state, and I'm sure this is consistent mm-hmm. across America. And you've seen it in the last legislative session. We saw it this week. Mimi Stewart in the Senate has gone after now two Democrat senators. We've seen her go after David uh, Ivy Soda. And we have had the issue now with uh, Jacob Candelaria. Right. Okay. The, the point that the Democrat Party is trying to do, they don't want any white male. They yes. want only and they use the term BIPOC. It's a Democrat term. It's black, indigenous people of color. And we'll mm-hmm. also include the LGBTQ uh, community in there because they want to force out your blue dog, moderate mm-hmm. conservative Democrats, because, like you said, they're not progressive enough. And what they want to do is they want to weaponize the the legislature to say well if you oppose our position our agenda on the progressive side of the house here uh then you're racist right then you're a misogynist uh you know you you don't support uh, the lgbt community and, and we've seen that we've seen that happen in the last legislative session with state representative stephanie lord she made comments about some law enforcement legislation that was being presented and she was openly called a racist, even though none of her comments, which are recorded as part of the session, and we we clipped out those videos and played it back. Nothing in there uh, mm-hmm. was racist. Even African-American members of the Republican Party stood up and said, no, there was nothing offensive, nothing racist at all. That's their agenda. Their yes. agenda is yeah. to, to cleanse their own party with the progressive uh, supporters. And they're going right. to use... Yeah. They're going to use these mechanisms and, and processes that you're showing us today to, to make sure that they're successful. Right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's leaving probably 90% of the country behind. <laughs> Marxist yeah. revolutions don't have a good track record of uh, right. protecting election integrity. So this is all kind of just rolling right into itself. Yes, yeah. it's true. And it's good. This, it's good because you see this. Uh, it's not just. Republicans in you know being sore losers in states with that mm-hmm. obviously are kind of dominated by Democrat progressives. I mean, there was a lot of pushback in Arizona, who has a, if I'm not mistaken, the majority of the legislature is Republican, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and they pushed back hard on this audit. So that should tell you something. Blue dog Democrats or Democrats who aren't crazy that the election integrity, these audits that are being demanded by people who you may think are crazy, there is valid points to this, right? Because they've been pushed back, not just in blue states, but states that are traditionally red. Right. Um, And yeah, and it's happening. It's happening in our state. I mean, you know, Rebecca Dow, who we had on the program, remembers working across the aisle with people. And as those people she worked across the aisle with kind of got picked off. Yep. Mm-hmm. One yeah. by one. And they're Democrats. Right. And, and so, yeah, there's there's something to be said about that cabal that, that that's truly frightening. Yes, it really is. This is an issue for everybody. It's not it's really the swamp versus the people. And the swamp is made up of Democrats and Republicans alike. Well, and now we're going to have a new issue, you know, after January is redistricting. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's oh, gonna God. play that's that, gonna that, be a that, that whole that's new bite. <laughs> a whole new wrench into the equation here. Uh, yeah. So it, it's important. You know, the work that you're doing is extremely important. And like I said, it's the number one topic that I hear when we're having uh, events with our community. And, and the first thing they say is, well, why aren't the Republicans doing anything? Well, you know, we've seen how expensive these audits are, right? Yeah. They're millions of dollars. So unless you have that smoking gun, which it, it sounds like you, you guys are well on your way to finding that, you know, it's mm-hmm. difficult to raise the money. In the early days of, of the questioning of around election integrity, uh, you know, there was failed lawsuits. There was all the media, uh, you know, discussions happening around with it. And it was really hard to kind of find that, that tack that was going to make it stick. It's unfortunate that it's taken this long because we've all paid such a high, high price for this and everything's at risk. But I hope that, you know, with your work and and the other people around the country that are doing this, that, you know, we can have something substantial, go forward, challenge it and, uh, you know, make sure it doesn't happen again. Now, it sounds like things like uh, the election integrity process that we're doing in the party as far as poll challengers and poll watchers uh, and election observers um, I was one at the Santa Fe warehouse this election cycle, and I can tell you with COVID and everything, there really wasn't much that we could observe. Yeah. We adjudicated, I think, maybe a dozen ballots, maybe, you know, okay. and, and other than that, um, you were basically roped off and you couldn't see anything. So right. when we're looking at these statistics and this analysis, you know, what is what do you guys see as the path forward to, to ensure uh, fair and honest and transparent elections? Okay, there's a couple of things. And I, I think you mentioned the cost. And if you, I mean, you know Maricopa County that had 2.1 million ballots, I believe, which is actually the size of our entire population. So we only have, I think it's 1.2 million votes. So if we were to do an audit, um, and there's also been talk that that costs roughly $4 a ballot, but they think that they have figured out the process where you could do an equivalently good audit for 25 cents a ballot. So that's only half a million dollars if we did every ballot in this state. And if we only did the red counties and that map I showed you at the beginning, I mean, we could do this for $100,000. Yeah, because the initial cost when it came out was, I think, like around $5.7 million. And, you know, that's kind of of a big number to try to scrap together on a moment's notice. (laughs) But I think the citizens of this state, I mean, we could raise half a million dollars to do an audit. But a way to kick a way to fix the problem quickly and cheaply would just be to get rid of the machines um, and and count these ballots by hand. And there's no reason we can't do that. So that's that's my uh, that's the quickest possible fix that we could do right away. Um, the other thing, if you if you want to go through some of this other data, is that our it's it's clear. I mean, it's clear obviously that our registration rules are are a nightmare, and so probably our most uh, effective audit tool would be to actually verify our voter rolls. And so that would, um, that'd go a long way to fixing the problem. If we could get rid of all those ghost voters that never actually did register or actually live at those addresses. I mean, it'd be so much harder for them to cheat. And so um, just getting rid of the machine. We've done that in some areas. We've done that in Bernalillo County. There was an election integrity team. I was part of it on the data analysis side. I know they worked really hard. Uh, and they were able to purge a lot of uh, voters from the role. So it yes. sounds like it should continue that. We should continue that. And, and the problem I see with those efforts is if you look at these graphs that are on the screen right now, 
if you mm -hmm. go back to the first one, Chris, 2016, 2017. So this, what they're doing is they're injecting a whole bunch of fake ballots leading up to the, like the summer before a general election, they'll inject, uh, you know, five to 10% of fake ballots. So even if you do a good, um, a good canvassing effort and you, you strike those ballots, they'll just put them right back in. So here's, and if you look, if you take a two year period, it looks exactly the same surrounding an election. So the summer before there'll be a, a rising hill going up to November, and then there'll be a steep drop off, drop off after that of some percentage. And somehow magically all the counties always track together. So that's telling you that there's a big, a block editing effort going on. So even if we did a canvas, you know, and we got them down to where it should be, we have bad actors just inserting fake voters. So if you'd go to the next slide, Chris. Now this is a good one. This is 2020 and 2021. So look at the summer of April through August. You see that every, every county had a real steep increase in registrations as much as 10% were added to the rolls. That was like 77,000 statewide. And what happened over the summer? We were all locked down. The DMV was closed. Uh, there was no students on any campus. There was no door to door. Yet somehow we managed to add 77,000 new voters to the rolls when all the methods of, of registering those people were shut down. So that tells you <laughs> that there is some, you know, something very nefarious going on here. And then we all had, they all had a steep, every county had a steep drop off after that election. I think one of the reasons they do that is they need to purge some of those, those fake people but also we had to have such a large increase in registrations because um, they had to have voter turnout look reasonable. So even so we had, I think it was almost 80% voter turnout in 2020. It might've been wow. something like that. And so even with that massive inflation in order to cover up the Trump votes and make it look like he lost and all of our conservative candidates lost, they had to inflate them that much just to keep turnout reasonable. And, and it's very telling now in was, 2020. Now, was this just for the presidential election or was this for like that's, House that's, and stuff? Because he won more. I mean, the Republicans won a lot of seats that they shouldn't have won, um, which you mean is nationwide? Another, yeah. yeah, nation. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, nationwide. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, which was kind of which pointed to the fact that like, well, how did down ballot perform better than a yes. sitting president right. who from an unprecedented level gained how many like eight million more new votes or yes something something crazy like that right um, so that's another yeah, giant that, red that's flag. another red mm -hmm. yes it's another red flag yeah yes okay. yeah, so, so this those... chart showing that we had around 850 daily registrations in october yeah in october okay so, so i can tell you I've, I've worked at events like big big attended events car shows rallies home shows, gun shows. We usually have a VRA or we're there collecting nominating petition signatures. Mm -hmm. Yes. There's absolutely no way. Yes, I know. And so <laughs> the interesting thing about this graph is this is for Doniana County, but I did it for every single county in our state. They all have these same peaks on the same day. Oh, and it's God. always a month. It happens to be a month before the election, any election, whether it's a municipal primary general. Um, and the, the really crazy thing is until 2020, 
there was a moratorium on registrations between, I think it's like 28 days before election day and then until they finish canvassing, which is about three weeks after election day. So there should be zero registrations um, between election day in 2016, about a month before and a month after in both 2016 and 2018. You can see there's still registrations every single day. In 2020, they got rid of that requirement and you can see how much stuffing of registrants they had to do to get it worked out. Um, so anyway, every county has the same shape. I just put a couple up so you could see that they all have this crazy just the same day, shape. Same thing. Yes. And then like, hey, today's the day, guys. We got to put a bunch in. Yeah. Yes. Well, I would take the first. The first. I'll play devil's advocate for a minute. Okay. So you have the moratorium. Let's say you have a backlog uh, of registrations mm -hmm. that haven't been processed, and all of a sudden now it's like. We're going to process them all on one day, but then you would be looking at your graph and seeing that, like you said, registrations are happening consistently across the timeline. Right. right? And, and yeah, so those spikes should be after, if that was true, the spikes should all be after election day, roughly three weeks after election day when they do their canvassing and they open the, the books back up again. But that's not what we're seeing. So if you go down a couple more slides, Chris, if you zoom in on some of those squiggles, so there's San Juan. So zoom in on that. And that's what it looks like up close. So this is roughly six months of registrations. And you'll see this uh, crazy repeating, like double hill to shape. Um, so every week you have two peaks almost every week. And then you have almost the same minimum and almost the same maximum. Huh. And so this is true in every county. <laughs> Maybe so they this just is don't another, say it again. Maybe they just have a bad case of the Mondays. They don't like working on Monday. Well, those are all sun, sun, Sundays are the minimum, which makes sense, except it's not always zero because because they sometimes they raise the minimum ups because they have to get so many people registered to pad. No, I know. <laughs> but I mean, it's a good thing to think of. Like, are they closed yeah. Saturday and Sunday? Is that why? But no, that's not why, because on there are a lot of Sundays where that minimum will be up. Right. Like Bernalillo County. I didn't show that one, but the whole thing is just shifted up according to how many people they needed in there to get it to where they wanted it for election day. So, yeah, so that's, so, so I think- multiple levels then. This is registration, yes. mm -hmm. uh, which is um, one mechanism for pumping in uh, fake ballots. There's the right. mass mailing of ballots. There's right. the very iffy voter rolls. Yes. Um, and there's people voting in and out of precincts. And then there's just straight up injection. Yeah. Um, probably, yeah. I assume, via the uh, voting machine. Yes. We have a story of someone in a county who was, uh, they were a poll watcher of some kind, and they were um, they were at like 97 votes. And every time the 100th voter walks in the door, they do a little celebration. You're the 100th voter, and congratulations, and here's a sticker or whatever. And so they were at 97. And then in an instant, it went to 235. Wow. <laughs> Just what it showed as voting. So that there's nothing that could be except just manipulation into the machine. I, I just so, I don't even know what to say anymore to this stuff. Yeah, it's like yeah, every no, day. I mean, it, it's, it's still kind of hard to get your head around. Yeah. Um, I, and I know your, I know your husband has been doing God's work with like breaking down like these, you know, going into these uh, case files, these affidavits, going through these affidavits, looking at all these things. And, and like when you figure out, it's elaborate nature, the devil advocate in me would basically be like, well, this couldn't be widespread and stuff like that. This, yeah. I mean, this would have to be somewhat coordinated, but I don't, yes. 
I've always been under the assumption that it's not coordinated if they all believe that the person who they need to vote out of office is an existential threat. Um, I use a very crude analogy, stuff like that. Like Hitler didn't have to tell his minions about the final solution. They just knew. Yeah. This is kind of the way it feels to me. Like, I think there might be something bigger and nefarious here. You don't want to think about that Mm -hmm. because you want to think, Oh, and you know, you want to think rationally. My rational side wants to be like, well, this this can't happen. And also I've worked for the federal government. No one can coordinate anything. Yeah. They can't even coordinate a retreat. There, a, has, there has been rumors and speculations across New Mexico now for as long as I've been, you know, loosely connected in politics before I ran for office. And everyone has always said the Democrats cheat. You'll never win unless you're a Democrat. The Democrats cheat. And, you know, as a, as a newcomer to politics, you want to have faith in the process. You want to have faith in the system. You want to believe everything's on the up and up. And you go, nah, they're not cheating. No, there's no way that can happen. We have it all locked up and it's all good. And then you have an event like we just had and you start doing this data analysis and you, and you go, oh, wow, they are cheating. There is cheating going on. And we don't know who specifically is doing the cheating, but we know the beneficiaries of the outcome of that process. And now we have an obligation to dig deeper. You know, we, it looks like we are right on the, the, the tails of the smoking gun. So let's go back and talk about, you know, addressing the constituency and talking about moving forward and what we can do. Election integrity and poll challengers still sound like it's very important because like you yeah. just mentioned, ring that bell, 100 voters. We need to see that. There's other cases of fraud that can happen at the polling locations. We've already had some uh, counties and, and election integrity organizations move forward and start looking at voter rolls, trying to get the, the voter roll purged. Yeah. And now, you know, I don't know about the hand counting ballots. It sounds great. I don't know how you're going to get that to happen. But maybe we could get to that point of where we said we can raise a half a million dollars and we can do a deep dive into your red flagged counties. I think that's a very reasonable uh, and obtainable objective. Yes. Is there anything and, else that you think that, that we could add onto that list? Um, I think that at least, I think we have a bunch of county clerks that believe they ran an honest election and they believe the process that they're participating in is honest and they do not understand how, how bad these machines are. And I think showing those honest county clerks um, what I've just showed you and and um, you, somebody asked what the probability that this could occur like that. Yeah. Um, and, and an answer to that is like, let's say you have a 35 sided die uh, to represent like the ratio of people that voted by age, like I was showing you, mm -hmm. and you, you roll it 83 times to represent every year between 18 and hundred years old, and you get a set of ratios. Mm -hmm. And then you do that 33 more times and you get exactly the same set of 83 ratios every time in order, like that's the probability that what I just showed you could happen in real life. And that's, I mean, that's, you could win the lottery 33 times in a row yeah. faster than you could make that dice come out correctly um, for that number of, of rules. And so if you could convince these county clerks that are honest people that something's really wrong, they could they could hand count their own ballots. They don't have to mm -hmm. use those machines. So, so um, counties can insulate themselves and counties that are still, um, sensitive to the desires of their constituents would be responsive to that. Now, I think some of our county clerks are so corrupt that it's going to take an act of God to get them to uh, reform how they do stuff. And that's 
probably in Doniana County, Bernalillo County, Santa Fe, I would think. Yeah. Um, but some of these other counties, I mean, they're going to, they know their neighbors and they're not, they're not plants from George Soros or whatever. And so um, they don't take a whole bunch of third, you know, money from third, third parties. Party money, yeah. And and they would, I think they would be responsive to not using the machines or at least doing a hand count as, as soon as they were done or um, I'm not sure, but I mean, we'd have to, that's what I'm pushing for. Sure. And, and another thing we found out about the voter rolls um, is that our secretary of state has allowed where, where I think all that automated injection of voters is coming from. She's allowed uh, an organization called rock the vote to have direct access to her website so they can input people without even using her website. And they work with a thousand other they have a thousand, one thousand one hundred twenty-eight other partners that they work with. Partners in quotes, and so I think that's who's manipulating the roles. If we could insulate the roles, if we could go to paper roles only, if we could go back to when we um, up until twenty twenty, we would close the books. Voter ID, yes. I mean, those are all low cost, easy fixes. That so we how should. How is that mechanism working? How's that mechanism work then? When when you to, to, to just explain to me and stuff like that. The, her, so the voter rolls, which are basically, mm -hmm. you know, the purview of the secretary of state yes. allows a third party organization to access or update or, or submit to these voter rolls that are here. Yeah. They, they submit huh. names, they go behind her website. So they have some kind of third party access. Like there's no way that's secure. <laughs> and then they give their platform, they give access to their platform to 1,128 people, whoever they are, like whatever organization. And then you look at who's funding Rock the Vote and it's all, you know, far left organizations and they're all for federalizing our elections and all that. So, I mean, we got to stop that for sure. Well, that's the whole point with all of this, with those organizations is they want to centralize mm -hmm. that control. They want to centralize that power because it's easier to cheat. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, it's funny. The, 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 our, our, the very chaos of our elections, um, the fact that they're very decentralized and run by the states and stuff actually makes mm -hmm. them less impervious to the uh, the the boogeyman we were sold in 2016. And that's the Russians interfering yeah. in the election. Right. Um, right. So it, it's kind of it's kind of the resilience of the system. And I thought I would never. Just an anecdotal story here. I went to Nigeria about six years ago during their elections and it took I, the thing that kind of surprised me is it took four days to get the results. And I was there bragging, like if I was back home and this was an election, we'd know by midnight who won. Yeah. And then to come back five, six years later and witness the fact that we did not really know. Yeah. Until a week and a half later or more. I don't even remember how long it took. It's it's some third world stuff. Yes. And yes, it makes it very, very ripe for voter fraud. And I tend to remember my relatives because the outcome of the election over there was not their guy. And, mm. they, and they simply did not trust the results. They still yeah. don't trust the results. Yeah. And yeah. That is, that's the insidious nature of what has happened to our election over, over our elections over the last two, three, three years. I've been paying attention closely. Yes, I agree. Erin, mm -hmm. was there any other data we needed to go over? I know that you sent a lot of stuff. Was I think that was that, that was, was enough. Yeah. Much it for now. <laughs> I mean, there's tons. We could spend hours. <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> 
Well, we'd be yeah, happy to have you back on. Thing. This is yeah, this has been one of the easiest conversations I've had. I mean, I hope our listeners have appreciated it. Um, I know I have. It's it's made it a lot easier to understand because a lot of times, even when I go into the chat on Telegram and I'm trying to get something from it, it's yeah. pretty random and it's not a lot of explanation. So I really appreciate you taking the time to just kind of slowly make it make sense. Sure thing. It's, it's my pleasure. It's yeah, my so pleasure. It very, you did a great job of explaining it. We saw the grass and I was like, Sean, she's going to have to explain it because I don't get it. <laughs> you walked yes, through, it, requires... it made a lot of sense. And I hope that now that we know, we can communicate it to others, uh, yes. you know, with those charts and, and get them involved in this process. And again, we just really are very grateful for you and your husband and, and the time and dedication and commitment you've put towards this project. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for spending the time on it. I appreciate it. Baco, what are we doing? Good evening, everyone. <laughs> I'm working on my host of late night show voice, I guess. Yes. Um, okay. Well, it's it's getting good. The yeah, I'm getting there. Before you know it, by the time we get canceled, I'll be top notch producer in New Perfect. Mexico. Perfect. <laughs> Until you now, get canceled, have you even done anything worthwhile? Yeah, I mean that's kind of the metric at this point. That's the bar, right? Like you're nobody I think if you've so. been canceled. Uh, you had to get killed. Now you just have to be canceled. Um, which is, I guess, a step up. Wow, that really went to a dark place there, Baco. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's what I'm here for. Be here every Wednesday and every Sunday, folks. Make sure you tune in. Uh, specifically, this fifth, this Sunday, we'll have Blair Dunn, who. Um, is going to be coming in. Uh, maybe you saw some of the ad. Blair Dunn will be here 1 p.m. September 5th. This is a new thing I'm trying where I bring up the ad while I... It's pretty good. I like that. It. That's a good trick. Um, yeah, and just hang around and, oh, I lost. Oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh no. Oh, I don't see voter fraud. I noticed a few things since we have 14 people still listening. A, support election integrity efforts B, when you brought up the dice analogy right mm -hmm. it, yeah. isn't that game theory it's been a few years since college but isn't that the same thing that you would look into like so that people can understand that is that the idea behind that dad you're a dork is that what we're talking about <laughs> you're a computer I mean, guy it's it's, it's 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 statistics and probability which i hate I, but I think um, it's about but, like video games, like flipping quarters and playing games and like how often you would have to do stuff to actually. Right. It's basically it, it, the, the die analogy is basically to let you know, like to let you know from a statistical and probability probabilistic standpoint, it's impossible. Right. Impossible. It is not possible. Flipping a lighter, flicking a lighter on over and over. Yeah, 10 times I, over I mean, over. there's a lot of commas after there's no decimals. It's lots of commas you um, know of, of chances in when it comes to that ratio so that's basically what it means it's impossible guys that's what that's what the analogy yeah there we go i, I thought that was I, I wanted to i was trying to jog my memory uh and then i i pitched the next show um somebody mentioned george soros i forget who that was but i like do you think in 10 years we're gonna think of george soros as kind of like the arnold rothstein of our era like that dude fixed the world series and george soros maybe possibly fixed the election and maybe he'll like he looked as like this guy that pulled off the incredible, the insane. I mean, I watched this and I was like, well, that's impressive. It's certainly impressive. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there, there, there is that distinct possibility. Right. Um, of depressing. course, right now, the way the way the history books are going to be written, if we were to even bring that fact up, we'd, we'd be anti-Semitic and canceled. Oh, my gosh. But this always goes to dark places. Can we just be yeah, normal well, we for once? We should probably cut it. 
Okay. Mrs. Clements, thank you again so much for coming on. <laughs> Let's cut this before we get ourselves canceled unnecessarily. I'm bringing up. I'm bringing up the brand. Let's find it. Let's find it. You got the brand. <laughs>